0: Love that picture, don't you? I hope that everybody online can see that picture because isn't that what we're called to be? It's joyful and dancing. I know at the Nashville United Methodist Church, there's a person that will actually dance in the sanctuary when, whenever they sing or that, that song or whenever it's played. So I was looking around to see if anybody here would would get up and start dancing. It's just a joyful song. Thank you, Susan and Charlotte, for bringing that to us this morning. So I'm Kim Metzer. I am the pastor of Hope United Methodist Church, south of town, and Welcome Corners United Methodist Church, north of town. So I have you covered, surrounded, (laughs) you might say. So, um, but today and a few more times this summer, I am here in the middle of town, and online as well, um, coming to you from Green Street United Methodist Church. I, I will take this moment to just show some appreciation for Bryce. I, I just love that we are able to collaborate in the way that we do. We are called to be together, to work together, to be united, and we are better together, and I know I am better um, for this collaboration, and I just uh, appreciate that. And everybody here at Green Street. I I just enjoy this congregation as well as my own, and I am grateful that you allow us to do this, this collaboration. So this month of July, we have been looking at some prophets, some minor and some major prophets, some that aren't discussed as much. I started off the month with Ezekiel, which we don't talk about Ezekiel a whole lot, and then last week Bryce brought us Amos and the plumb line, and I, I hope that you have gone through the week thinking about what your plumb line is, and is your life straight? Is it, is it plumb with the plumb line? Um, so this week, we are looking at Jeremiah, as Selena said, and we are um, in chapter 23 of Jeremiah, And what you need to know about this great prophet is that all through his life, and this is, you know, kind of bringing the the mourning down a little bit, all through his life, he could be found weeping. Weeping before God and on behalf of his people. Weeping for the people on behalf of God. Jeremiah had warned, warned Judah of impending doom if the people did not repent of their rampant idolatry. They were just an idolatrous people. And he warned them of their doom if they did not stop it. And he pleaded with God to spare his people. Jeremiah wept because the people wouldn't listen. No one would listen. And he wept because he was often all alone. And I can identify with that, because sometimes as pastors, we feel like we're all alone and nobody is listening. And so we weep. We still weep. And in the end, no one did listen. And the people of Judah and the people of Benjamin are sent into exile in Babylon. And I have to imagine that in some ways, Jesus also identified with Jeremiah. Because Jesus also wept because people didn't understand him. The scholar Carl Medeiros tells us that Jerusalem, then as now, is a city at war with itself and with outsiders. It's desperate for a peace that will last. Jesus is that peace, but they don't recognize him as that. They still, and we still, don't recognize him as that. And they... they then mistook him as a national political leader, which is not what he was. Jesus' politics were embedded, were embedded in another kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. And Jerusalem missed that distinction. So Jesus wept. And I, I believe Jesus still weeps because we just don't get it. We don't get it. And this weeping is not out of anger, it's out of empathy. Jesus loves these people. Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us, and he weeps for us that we just don't get it. Just as the people of Jerusalem were his people, they are still his people. We are his people. Jesus wanted the best for them. Jesus wants the best for us. So this book of Jeremiah is set during a turbulent period when Babylon twice invaded Judah, destroying Jerusalem and its temple and deporting large numbers of Judeans. And much of the blame for these traumatic events is placed on Judah's failed leadership. So we're talking about leadership today. And being a shepherd, but also being a leader. And Judah's downfall was because of failed leadership. Immediately before this passage in, in chapter 23, God condemns the three prior kings of Judah who had governed unjustly and exploited their people. So Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 6, continues these reflections on the future of the Davidic monarchy. Verses 1 through 4 promise to remove the current failed leaders and replace them with better ones. And verses 5 to 6 look forward to the appearance of a new righteous king. In the New Living Translation that I'm using this week, Jeremiah 23 starts with what sorrow awaits. But in several other translations, it starts with the word woe, W-O-E, woe. So I have to say, whoa, W-H-O-A, whoa, we're really heading downward. We're weeping, we're starting with woe and sorrow. That's kind of a downer, sorry. This voice is the voice of Jeremiah, but he's speaking the words of Yahweh, of God. What sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep. For they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for, says the Lord. Or in other translations, it says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Woe. As scholar Elna Solvang tells us, the the spotlight of judgment is focused on the quote-unquote shepherds. While actual shepherds were among the poor and lowly in ancient Near Eastern societies, shepherd was also a term to refer to a king. It is kings, specifically the kings of Judah, who are the objects of judgment here in Jeremiah 23.1. Shepherds are responsible for protecting and providing sustenance for their flocks, for keeping peace within the flock. Defending against attackers. Searching for sheep that have gone astray. And rescuing those who are in danger. The shepherd, and by this analogy the king, is expected to act for the well-being of the sheep. Supposed to be looking at the sheep. Yet the opening verse of Jeremiah 23 accuses the shepherds These very shepherds that are supposed to be protecting their sheep, this verse is accusing them of destroying and scattering these sheep that they're supposed to protect. When God starts off with woe or with what sorrow awaits, God is speaking out of compassion for the victims of these self-serving so-called shepherds. Are they really shepherds if they're not protecting and rescuing and providing for their sheep? As we see in verse 2, God vows to take to task these shepherds that have not cared for their flock. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to these shepherds. Instead of caring for my flock and leading them to safety, you have deserted them and driven them to destruction. Now I will pour out judgment on you for the evil you have done to them. And it is at this point in the reading of the scripture passage that we would expect to hear from God the consequences that these failed shepherds will have to endure. But instead, we hear from God that God will personally assume the role of shepherd. I think we know where this is going, right? We, we don't get to it till many years later, but we know where this is going, right? Who the true shepherd is? Verse 3, But I will gather together the remnant of my flock from the countries where I have driven them. I will bring them back to their own sheepfold, and they will be fruitful and increase in number. Scholar Solvang tells us that in verse 4, God promises to raise up new shepherds for the fold. Then I will appoint responsible shepherds who will care for them, and they will never be afraid again. Not a single one will be lost or missing. I, the Lord, have spoken. The Lord says he's going to dispense with these failed shepherds and bring to the sheep a true shepherd, one that will protect and provide and rescue. Where will these leaders come from? Indeed, where will the shepherds come from in our own time? Where are the shepherds among us? How will these shepherds be different from the former shepherds? It is in these verses that we understand what Jesus was talking about when he said in John 10, 11 through 13, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. These self-serving so-called shepherds, the kings of Judah, are described by Jesus as being no more than hired hands. When the going gets tough, they bail on their assigned role and look out only for themselves. Instead of Instead of following the cliche, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, well, they, they took that literally, and they, they split, right? The, the going got tough, and they deserted their sheep. We are called to be shepherds in this day and age, still. And when the going gets tough, what do we do? Do we stand firm in the powerful name of Jesus? Or do we run? Who are the failed shepherds that we might encounter now, in our day-to-day lives? Perhaps it's the government leaders that so often fail us. They so often seem to act in ways that are completely in contrast with their campaign promises. It's one thing to say you're going to do something, but to actually do it when there might be a personal cost at stake Is something else entirely. We see that all the time. If if they're not going to get reelected, maybe they won't follow through. If there's a personal cost to us for something, maybe we won't follow through. Perhaps it's our religious leaders today who profess a course of action from the pulpit and then take a different route once they're behind closed doors or outside the doors of the church. We see that a lot. Those are failed shepherds. But what if, what if God is speaking to each and every one of us? What if God is looking to each of us as shepherds? We are kings and queens of our own lives, are we not? That would make us shepherds. shepherd our own lives accordingly but also the lives of those around us. We're responsible for protecting and providing sustenance for our flocks, for keeping peace within our flock, for defending against attackers, for searching for sheep that have gone astray and rescuing those who are in danger. My mantra for a long time has been, love God, love others, the end. When we are following this mantra, we are following a shortened version of the two commandments that Jesus said were the greatest commandments of all. Love the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And when we do that, when we follow this love God, love others, we are operating as good shepherds. Protecting and providing sustenance is akin to standing up for the downtrodden and ensuring that the hungry among us have food and the homeless have a place to sleep. Keeping the peace is living our lives in such a way that we do not become stumbling blocks for others. If we are bickering amongst ourselves, why would anyone else want to join us in the sheep pen? I don't want to go where there's conflict, do you? Searching for sheep that have gone astray and rescuing those in danger. I liken to Jesus's analogy of going after the one Even though there are 99 in the pen It would be far more comfortable for the shepherd to stay safe in the pen with the already gathered 99, but that's not what the shepherd is called to do. That's not what we're called to do We're not called to be safe and comfortable in the pen to just worship on a Sunday morning in the comfort of a sanctuary. We are the church, and we are called to go out and be the church and be the shepherd to those around us. We are called to be Jesus' hands and feet and voice in this world, to comfort the afflicted, feed the hungry, and find the lost. Selvain goes on to say, there is no special breed of human shepherd. It is ordinary men and women who must choose to be good shepherds. And it is up to ordinary men and women to flock those shepherds, to flock to those shepherds whose attentiveness to justice, protection, mercy, and righteousness mirror God's shepherding. Not only are we to shepherd, but we are to flock together. We are all called to be shepherds and sheep's flocking sheep, sheep flocking <laughs> to the good shepherds. Which is another way of saying that God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. Lord knows, when I was called to pastoral ministry, I did not and sometimes still don't feel qualified. But I know that each and every week when I am On whatever stage I'm on, God is with me. God is qualifying me. God is giving me the words to say. Each of us has the responsibility to not only be good shepherds, but to follow good shepherds and to flock together. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line, He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. That was verse 5. Jeremiah prophesied in the final years of the kingdom of Judah through the reign of the final king, Zedekiah. When Zedekiah's name means, My righteousness is the Lord, his reign was far from righteous. Judah's experience with bad shepherding, as well as our own, can foster cynicism among leaders. God confronts despair, announcing that there will be a ruler rightly called, the Lord is our righteousness. Verse six, and this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. In that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. These two verses, five and six, point to a Jesus who will be a righteous descendant From King David's line. And it's important to recognize two dimensions of this promise. First, God promises to continue working through the ages to raise up shepherds who will deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land, verse 5. And secondly, God promises a fullness of righteousness reigning through Jesus Christ, the good shepherd for us all. Both Jeremiah and Jesus spent much of their earthly lives withdrawing to pray and to cry. These tears were for the lost that so desperately needed to be found. Jesus' tears especially were for the lonely and the broken and the poor that need a savior. But Jesus, unlike Jeremiah, was himself the answer. Jesus is the true shepherd that gives us all that we need, that lets us rest in green meadows, that leads us beside peaceful streams. Jesus is the shepherd that renews our strength, that guides us along right paths, that brings honor to his name. And even though we walk through the darkest valley, we will not be afraid, for Jesus is close beside us. Jesus' rod and staff protect and comfort us, Jesus prepares a feast for us in the presence of our enemies, honors us by anointing our head with oil, our cup overflows with blessings. Surely, Jesus' goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Sound familiar? we apply Psalm 23 to our lives. We will see that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. There was a a meme recently posted on Facebook that gives a line-by-line meaning of Psalm 23. And I will post the meme on the the Facebook page later today, and I did print copies of it. I have a few copies here. But if we look through it line-by-line, the Lord is my shepherd, equals relationship. I shall not be in want, equals supply. He makes me lie down in green pastures, equals rest. He leads me beside quiet waters, equals refreshment. He restores my soul, healing. He guides me in paths of righteousness, guidance, for his namesake, purpose. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Testing, I will fear no evil. Protection, for you are with me. Faithfulness, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Discipline, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Hope, you anoint my head with oil. Consecration, my cup overflows. Abundance, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Blessing, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord, security, forever, eternity. Relationship, supply, rest, refreshment, healing, guidance, purpose, testing, protection, faithfulness, discipline, hope, consecration, abundance, blessing, security, eternity. That's what a shepherd provides. That's what a shepherd does. Jesus is our answer. Jesus is our shepherd who will always protect and provide, who will always protect, defend, search for us, and rescue us. All we have to do is open our eyes. As we sang this morning, even just the name of Jesus is powerful. Use it. Call on it. And Selina reminded us that God will enable us to do whatever we are called to do. We have been called to be shepherds. So this is my challenge to you today. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. We also sang that that worked out beautifully. Open the, the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Open our eyes. look around us, to not only be the shepherd, but to see those that need a shepherd, and so we can help them to know the good shepherd, the one that is always with us, who will never fail us. It's time to get out of our comfort zones. It's time to not just attend church and give lip service to being a worshiping Christian, But to be the church in our communities. Church is not the building. Church is not where you attend on Facebook on Sunday mornings. Church is you. Let's go be the church. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being the good shepherd for being with us always and forever, for being that relationship, for rescuing us, for searching for us, providing for us, for being our constant strength and hope. Lord, we pray that we will be your hands, feet, and voice in this world, that others will look to us as shepherds, that will shepherd them to the good shepherd. Let us be protectors of your flock.